0: If you are a a guest or a visitor or have just been away for a while, we're we're in a series in our Sunday mornings uh, called Storyteller, uh, and we're trying to dive into these stories that Jesus told uh, and try to grapple with what do they mean uh, and what do they mean for us. So we're going to turn this morning to the next one in our series in Luke chapter 11, so if you've got a Bible with you, you might want to, to look that up. Luke chapter 11, I'm going to read the first uh, 12, 13 verses of that chapter. Uh, and then if you've got a physical Bible, in a moment we're going to look at Luke chapter 18 as well. So you might want to put a finger in, in that bit as well. Uh, so Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Jesus' is teaching on prayer. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, from the evil one. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I've got no food to offer him. And Suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Which of you, if your child asks for a fish, will give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, will give them a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Is it just me, or you know that phrase that comes up in the Bible sometimes, there's nothing new under the sun? Uh, it just seems to me at the moment that the TV executives, the TV producers are taking that quite literally, and things get recycled a lot, don't they? Things get remade a lot. Darling Buds of May? Yeah, I thought so, yeah. Uh, here's another one that's, that's been remade. Blankety? Oh, you sound so enthusiastic about this. <laughs> Blankety Blank. How many people love this show? How many people have loved it for years? Nobody wants to admit to that, that's fine. So I thought we'd have a quick go at blankety-blank this morning. So turn to the person next to you just for a couple of minutes, or the people behind you if you're sat uh, in in that kind of place, uh, and just finish this phrase, prayer blank. Prayer what? Take two minutes, person next to you. We'll give you another 10 seconds on that. Okay, great, let's, um, let's see how we got on. I'm gonna tell you now because I don't wanna disappoint you at the end. I don't know the most popular answer, so I'm sorry about that. Uh, but let's just hear some answers. Prayer, time, that's an interesting one. How many people thought of time? Yeah, some people, prayer time. So we think of prayer as something that we do at a certain time. That's interesting. Uh, Yes? Prayer matters. Prayer matters. That's a great phrase. Yeah, I think that's the best one. We're not going to beat that one. We're not going to beat that one. That's that's a great answer. Uh, Another one? Helps. Prayer helps. Absolutely. Is that what you're going to say, John? Communicate. Communicate. Prayer communicate. Yeah. It's essential. It's essential. Brilliant. Prayer changes. Prayer changes things. Yeah. Fantastic. It's so interesting that sometimes we think of prayer in, in certain ways. Now, I came across some uh, kids' letters that were written uh, quite recently, and I thought it would be great just to share some. Here's a great one Dear mummy, I do not think I say this often. I love you very, 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 very Okay, this is the last one, very much. Uh, and I've got, a, and I presume that's his poem. I've got a poem for you. Roses are red, just like your face when Dad eats our snack. <laughs> Isn't that great? Real. That's, that's real, that is. Okay, uh, there's, uh, here's another one. Oh, this is a great one. This, this was a postcard that some kids sent. Don't send this to anyone. This is yours. Sincerely, Oliver. And it's been written to the mailman. Isn't that great? I love that one. Uh, let's read another one. Mum... Dad, now, d- this gets quite emotional, just to warn you, okay? I love you, but you cannot cut my hair. If you do, I will never forgive you. I love my hair, and guess you don't love me enough to do what I want to, uh, what I want to do for a change. And then there's some pictures that she's drawn, just to indicate how seriously this is. There's her heart, you <laughs> torn. And these are buckets of my tears. Wow! I'm sorry, Josh, we're going to have to cut your hair, mate. It's just how how it goes. Uh, One more. Dear mum and dad, don't bother to give me dinner. I'm not that hungry. And then this is quite upsetting. Love, and then they thought about it. No, not love. Not love, just from the saddest person in the world. (laughs) Wow. Wow. If we're honest, at times, prayer can feel a little bit like a letter-writing campaign. If I keep on about something, if I badger God often enough, then surely he can't forget and he'll have to do something about it. Sometimes we treat prayer a little bit like a postbox. We drop off our our requests or our needs uh, to God. Sometimes prayer can feel a bit more like a mystery box. Have you seen those old boxes? You see them sometimes down at the market, and it's not obvious how you get in them. And there's a really clever system. And if you're fans of Poirot, there's a whole story that revolves around him being able to open this, this box. And sometimes we look at other people, don't we, in their prayer life, or we read about somebody's prayer life, and they seem to have access to something. And you say, how, how do you get that? How do you get in there? Sometimes it's a post box, sometimes it's a mystery box. Sometimes... It's a bit of a soapbox. Have you ever heard someone pray and just felt awful afterwards? You've just been, just been told off through someone else's prayer and they're meant to be talking to God, but you sort of suspect that really they're talking to the rest of us. <laughs> Sometimes prayer can be a bit of a, a soapbox. where well, I get to say the things that matter. It can be a soapbox. Sometimes it can be a bit more like a matchbox. You ever heard someone pray, and just something inside you just burned with passion, or came alive, came into being, something in you was burst? Sometimes prayer can be like that that matchbox, can't it, That, that, that catalyst for us? Well, as Jesus was praying one day in a certain place, these disciples of his come to him. Now, these are men of prayer. These are Jewish boys, good Jewish boys who've been raised to pray three times a day. They prayed in the synagogue. They prayed around the table. They prayed on their own. Prayer was part of the rhythm of the Jewish way of life, whoever you were. And yet, when they hear Jesus pray, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. There was something about the way that he did it that made them go, I don't know anything about this. Would you teach me... How to pray. And Jesus gives them this pattern prayer, this sort of rhythm, if you like, of prayer that that we call now the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Actually, it's it's more like the disciples' prayer, isn't it? He he gave it to them. Uh, But then he tells a story, and then later in Luke 18, he tells another story. And we're going to dive into these stories together. So Jesus says this. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and i have no food to offer him just for a moment have a think about somebody whose door you could knock on at midnight the list is going to be pretty small isn't it there's not many people whose doors we knock on unexpectedly at all now and when the door goes we all tend to look at each other don't we and go who's that forgetting that if you just open the door you can see uh, who it is it's not a tricky question But we're not used to that anymore, but but who could you call at midnight with a request? So we're not talking about a casual friend, we're not talking about a stranger, we're talking about somebody you know, someone who knows you, someone who knows you well enough that if you really couldn't, if you really didn't, you could say, "I've, I've got nothing, I can't help, and the friendship would survive. So suppose you've got a friend, he says at midnight, and you go to him, and he said, lend me three loaves. Now this, in Jesus' story, he might ima- ask us to imagine a scenario. Uh, travel in Jesus' day was very, very different to travel in our day. Uh, if you wanted to go somewhere, you had to guess how long it would take you to walk. Uh, and the more you traveled, the, more you, the better you got at this. You couldn't type it in and give you like a sort of an estimated time of arrival. Uh, the other thing in Jesus' day is that you did not want to walk for long periods of time in the heat of the day. Uh, And so most people would get up and do their work, their preparation, would rest then in the afternoon and would take off on a journey into the evening. Uh, And so it was not unusual for somebody to arrive on you late at night. Midnight would be very, very unusual, but, but not totally unexpected. Uh, and the Jews had a saying that three loaves of bread uh, is about uh, what one person needs for a day. So don't think about big, massive loaves of bread. These are small uh, loaves. And three was about your, alloc- you know, your allocation every day. And so somebody arrives at your home, a friend of yours. Uh, and in Jewish thinking, hospitality is not just nice, it's sacred. It's something that you're commanded to do. It was deeply embedded in Jewish thinking that your home was not your own. Your stuff wasn't yours. The land itself was God's. And so if somebody needed something, if somebody wanted to come in your house, you could not say no. It was, it was sacred. And so this man in the story is, is mortified that he's got no bread in his house. So please, could you just give me the daily allocated quota for somebody? And here's the reply. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. How many people love their bed? How many people, once they're in bed, (coughs) you know, the prime minister himself could ring up. Actually, that's probably not a great example, is it? The queen herself could ring up. Once you're in bed, there's no shifting you. Well, again, in first-century culture, most homes had one main room, and it was broken up uh, with a bit of a platform. Uh, And your livestock, if you had any, would would live on the lower platform, uh, and the higher platform would be a place where you slept. Uh, And again, most homes in those days didn't have multiple bedrooms, didn't have multiple beds. It was one big, long straw bed. And so if this guy is going to get up and help his friend, he's going to have to disturb all his kids who are sleeping, None of us like to do that. And all these animals. Uh, And then doors in Jesus' day were bolted shut with this big sort of iron bar. So it's a big noisy operation just to get out of bed, disturb everyone, open the door uh, and give him the bread. And this friend goes, no. No, I'm, I'm quite comfortable, thank you. The kids are asleep. The door is locked. The day is over. Don't bother me. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus tells this story uh, when it comes to prayer. Because there are times in our lives, aren't there, when we feel like we're crying out to God for that one thing we need. Maybe not even for ourselves, maybe for a friend. And if we're really honest, there are times it feels like God is going, No. Don't bother The longer we walk this Christian walk, the more we journey in the spiritual realm, there will be experiences like that. When we are so sure God wants to answer a prayer in a certain way, we're so sure it's going to happen, and the question will always come, what if the answer is no? What if we don't get what we want when we want it? How will we navigate disappointment and frustration? How will it affect our faith? Jesus says, suppose you've got a friend who says, no, what are you going to do? Well, in this story that Jesus is telling, they're clearly very good friends because this friend does not take no for an answer. Uh, This friend says, no, you're my friend. You're going to help me. You you have to help me. There's not a doubt in his mind that if he stands there long enough, eventually uh, he's going to get out of bed and give him what he needs. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Do you know anybody who's shamelessly audacious? Don't look at each other, no elbows at this point. If you were to look for a moment inside your heart and if you could describe your faith and your prayer life, Would these words feature as a description? Shamelessly audacious. Just shameless. I've got nothing, God. I've got nothing. And I will not stop asking. I will not stop seeking. But it begs the question, doesn't it? If this is the story that Jesus tells about prayer, does that mean that we have to badger God that we have to bother God. The, for most of the time, he's, he, the door is locked. You know, he's, he's down for the night. He's got other kids to look after. He's just not interested. It's not, it's not a great picture of prayer, is it? How do we, how do we learn from that? Well, in Jesus' story, he often asks us to compare things, doesn't he? And in most of the stories we've been looking at so far in this series, uh, it's been, this is like that, and this is like that. Well, this story is going to be quite different to that. Uh, Later on, he asks them a question. Which of you fathers, if your child asks for a fish, would give them a snake instead? Now, that sounds like such a strange question, doesn't it? That's a really easy one. As far as as parenting courses go, uh, you wouldn't expect many people to get that one wrong. But in Jesus' day, a lot of kids mistook uh, certain types of snakes that lived in water for fish. And so if they were sent off on their own to gather food, they would quite often return with a snake instead of a fish, and that would be very, very dangerous. So kids often mistook fish for snakes. But the question is, well, you fathers, you're older, you're, you're wiser, you've got more experience, you, you can see which of you would do it. Or if they ask for an egg, would give them a scorpion. Again, apparently, when a scorpion rolls up into a ball, it can be mistaken for eggshell. And so kids could often uh, grab the wrong thing. Uh, But you would not expect a parent to do it. He says, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, these words are so important straight after this story. How much more? Sometimes when we talk about prayer, we use all kinds of language for it, don't we? And if we are living with disappointment or frustration or regret in in our prayer lives, we can have all kinds of language to describe things. But Jesus here is using the language of friendship and the language of fatherhood. If you, as a friend, even though you're in bed and the kids are sleeping and the door is locked, will eventually get up and go give some bread, even though you don't want to, how much more? Even though, as human beings, we're fallen, we're broken, we're bruised, we're evil, But even in this state, we'll give good gifts to our children when they ask, How much more will your Heavenly Father give? This isn't one of those parables that you compare. It's one of those parables you you contrast. And I wonder if these are words that God wants to say to some of us today. How much more am I waiting to bless you? How much more do I love you? How much more do I have for you? That's kind of a question for us today, isn't it, in terms of our, our faith. How much more are we trusting for? How much more are we believing for? How much more are we asking for? And these words again, in the, the midnight of our lives, in those places where we don't have, where we don't have answers, where we don't have provision, where we can't be and do all that we want to, well, Jesus says, suppose you have a friend who is waiting. And how much more is he wanting to give So there's the story of the midnight friend. Uh, There's another story that I think people often struggle with and and trip up over that comes in Luke chapter 18, uh, which is the story of the uh, unjust judge. And Jesus begins that story this way. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. So internally, he's got no interest in doing the right thing. And externally, he's not bothered if people like him or not. It's a great guy to have as a judge in your town. Uh, And there was a widow in that town, who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. And in Jesus' day, the, the widow was powerless, had no status, could not on her own expect an audience with the judge. But this widow will not give up shamelessly audacious, keeps coming and pleading. And it's not like, you know, I I need something or, or something's going on. They're asking for justice. They're asking for protection against an enemy. And Jesus says this, For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Ninja widow, basically. Look out. What's interesting about that story is that often we can feel that way, can't we? I keep bothering him, and I'm not getting justice. Sometimes, if we're really honest, we have a picture of God in our head, where he's, he's, he's up in heaven with his fingers in his ear, saying, John, would you stop asking? Would you stop praying for that thing? It's, it's not going to happen. Sometimes we read this story and think, well, there it is. It's there in the Bible. Sometimes he just doesn't want to do it, but he does it because I bother him. But if you look at how, Jesus, uh, how Luke sorry introduces this story, it says Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, the phrase there in Greek, not give up, is actually a phrase which means to faint and to feel weary, to feel discouraged by something. So Jesus is not trying to make the disciples feel guilty about not praying enough or long enough or hard enough. He's actually trying to encourage them with this story. So this isn't a story that says keep going because God's got a hard, cold heart and you're going to have to just keep going until he's fed up with you. This is a story to encourage. If we live in a world where eventually hard hearts are moved by need, eventually compassion will seep in, even for the strangest of reasons, how much more? Is your father waiting to hear your prayers? Is your friend waiting with justice in his hands? The Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not, will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How much more, if eventually things shift and change in our hearts and lives, if eventually we are moved by compassion and need, well, then how much more is God's heart moved by our need and by our cries? Some of you know, um, I wrote a blog a uh, week before last called The Praying Church, and it was inspired by something that I heard said. Uh, these, this couple had recently moved to a new area and they were looking to find a church, just couldn't seem to settle, uh, and uh, they said, but this is one church we're going to and we love them dearly and you've got to give it to them, they're a praying church, and it just made me wonder would that be like a really obvious thing that somebody would say about our church? You've got to give it to Bethel. They're a praying church. What does it mean to be a, a praying church? Surely it means to be a people who are deeply rooted, connected in God. I mean, we haven't got a hope have we, of introducing people to somebody that we barely know. A praying church. And I put a bit of a challenge on the last blog. I don't know how many of you uh, saw it, but a simple challenge. Could you pray with one other person every day? And on one hand, that sounds like massive. And on the other hand, you think with one person every day. One day this week, I was in a hospital visiting Jill Watkins. And uh, we got to pray together uh, at the end of our time. And uh, as I was walking back towards the lifts, it was the top floor. Walking back towards the lifts. Uh, it, the lifts took ages to come. And so I had a look around the corner and I just looked at the stairs. And you feel better if you've had a look, don't you? I looked at them and thought, no, I'll wait, I'll wait for the lift. And almost immediately at the same time, this, this nurse did the same thing. And we sort of chuckled about it and got talking. And she'd retired from nursing, but had come back into it through COVID and I was invited to, to come work again. And so she had, she'd responded to that call. And she said, "But to be honest, I thought it was going to be a short-term thing. I didn't think I'd still be doing it uh, all this time later. And I'm exhausted. I'm absolutely depleted. And the thought comes to me: I, I could pray, could pray for you. And then the other thought comes to me: You've prayed for Jill. You've done your one, one prayer for today. It's fine. And I thought, now I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask. You know, sometimes it takes a lot just to muster up." Eight little words. Would you like me to pray for you? Sometimes it takes a lot, doesn't it, just to get those words out of our mouth. So I said, would you like me to pray for you? And she said, ah, I'd I'd love that. And so we prayed, and just for a moment, as we were waiting for this lift to come, had half an eye on the lift so we didn't miss it, but we were just praying together. And afterwards, she just said, ah, I feel so refreshed. I feel like I've, I've just had a spa day. That's great, 20 pounds, but no, I didn't charge, didn't charge. How much more is God wanting to bless people? I'm becoming convinced that God is far more ready to bless people than we are to ask a simple question. Can, can we pray about that? Can I pray for you? There's one more picture I want to give you before we, we pray together. Um, At the start of the pandemic, a lot of people were Googling the question, I don't remember this, how can I pray? An unprecedented uh, number of people on Google were were asking that question. Um, And so we we did an interview series where we just invited people to share their experiences in prayer, going through the the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, On on one of those, I spoke to a lady called Ruth Rice, who some of you will know, uh, began the Renew Wellbeing uh, movement. Uh, And I've I've since then uh, got to know her a bit better and uh, picked up her her book, Slow Down, Show Up and Pray. Not as I keep saying, uh, slow down, shut up and pray, which doesn't quite work. Uh, Well, maybe it does, I don't know. Um, But in that book, she tells her story. And at one point in her life, uh, she was just on this treadmill. She and her husband were in ministry and they had a young family, uh, and she just didn't know know how to say no to anything was just getting exhausted uh, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, just depleted. And eventually, uh, the major symptom that she was having this, this sort of breakdown in her life was that she lost her voice, and they couldn't work out any physical reason why she should have lost her voice. She was just out, just, just taken out by it. Uh, and she went to see a speech therapist who said to her, you're, you're breathing wrong. And she was sorry? <laughs> I'm still on the planet. You say, no, you're you're breathing wrong. I don't know, some of you may know about breathing. Most of us breathe wrong. Most of us use a a, a mouth breath, which is a very shallow breath, and we're not accessing the resources. Uh, In this book, it's a fascinating book. You can borrow it if you want to. It it teaches you to breathe properly, because if you breathe through your nose, some of you are wondering why am I telling you this, bear with me. If you breathe through your nose, there are hairs in your nose that filter out germs. So if you're just breathing through your mouth, those germs are, uh, are germinating, I'm very technical, uh, in, in your mouth. So You can go home and impress people now with, with, the, with the news. Breathe through your nose. Aren't we fearfully and wonderfully made? Isn't that incredible? There's actually a filter in your nose. Incredible. Absolutely brilliant. But she said she had to learn to breathe from a deeper place and to breathe properly. And She, she came to realize that actually... Breathing is much like prayer. Yeah, We know it's essential. We know it changes things, but most of us have quick gasps of it. We don't take deep breaths of prayer. don't have a healthy rhythm with God. See, the truth is that there are times when I need a friend in the midnight of my need. But the simple truth is I don't know God well enough to go to him. I worry that I'll be a bit of a stranger if I go knock in the door now. And Jesus says, suppose you've got a friend because you have. And in those moments of need, in those moments of fear, in those moments of panic, there is a friend stood with you. And how much more is he waiting to bless you? I'd love us just to pray together uh, for a moment today. And as we come to pray, we're going to use a song that actually we haven't sung for a long, long time. and It might be that some of you just want to listen to it and just allow the words to inspire you and move you. But just as we come to prayer, I want you to invite you to think about that relationship with God that you've got. That picture of prayer in your life. Is it the language of friendship? Is it the language of fatherhood? Maybe for some of us here today, there's been a prayer request that has long been stuck. We feel like a stuck record with God. like he's not listening or not caring or not able. Can I just encourage you to keep talking to him and to hear these words from Jesus today, how much more will your father give?